This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. Chinese tech giant Huawei is suing the U.S. government, alleging the 2019 National Defense Authorization Act prohibiting government agencies from buying its equipment or contracting with other companies that do so. That act violates the Constitution. The company argues that Congress has failed to show any reason why such a ban should be in place and why Huawei is the only one singled out. U.S. officials allege that Huawei equipment could be used by the Chinese government to spy on Americans, something the company denies. All of this is happening as Huawei's chief financial officer and daughter of the founder, Meng Wanzhou, continues to be held in Canada and faces extradition to the United States on fraud charges. Joining us here in studio with more on this story, we are joined uh, by Regina Abrami, who is a senior fellow in management here at the Wharton School and also director of the Global Institute at the Lauder Institute and head of its international studies faculty. And also joining us on the phone, Richard Dasher, director of the U.S. Asia Technology Management Center at Stanford University. Regina, good to see you again. Good to see Thank you, you as well. Thank you. Richard, great to have you back with us. Thanks for having me on, Dan. So, so Richard, the, these concerns, obviously, are around Huawei, we've been talking about them on the show for some time now. Uh, I, I guess the question becomes this lawsuit coming forward what are the challenges being seen in this specific time frame by huawei well i think that this is all happening in advance of the uh trade discussions between uh trump and the um chinese that are supposed to happen near the end of this month so everything really ratcheted up uh really last week not only did huawei bring suit against the u.s government but Ms. Meng has sued the Canadian government, saying that she was unlawfully detained and uh, all of her equipment was taken and passwords uh, demanded and so forth before they ever told her that this was more than just a regular customs examination. And the uh, Chinese foreign minister has come out and said that he congratulates Huawei for the lawsuit against the U.S., and um, China also formally charged this Canadian that they've been holding ever since one of the Canadians that they've been holding since uh, Ms. Meng was arrested with stealing state secrets. So everything has ratcheted up and no one really knows what's going on. Regina, your thoughts? Um, I I agree with Richard Dasher's point around the timing of all of this. I'd also say that um, just tactically it makes good sense for Huawei to make this move, which is it's basically using the U.S. government's own laws against the U.S. government's efforts to make a case that Huawei is, in fact, a, a, a national security threat. And I think you can contextualize it a step further as well by... Um, taking note of how much this is being directed at the U.S. Congress and not at the U.S. president. So you could see in a way that what they're also doing is playing U.S. national politics, which is the presumption that typically national security matters and exemptions to standard practice in U.S. law can often be obviated in terms of national security and usually by uh, national emergency or presidential declaration. So if they can pit Congress against the president and have the two of them duke it out over who um, ultimately is responsible for this case um, and potentially opening the door for Trump to 
basically counter with Congress um, with what laws exist on the books, then um, it might be actually a pretty smart move. And it also makes me feel a little bit like Regina the fact that the, as Richard mentioned with the timing of this mm. and the fact that uh, Miss Meng has already put her suit into play into whether or not this suit is kind of being used as a pivot potentially to kind of ease some of the the, the push to try and bring forth a case against Miss Meng. I'm sure that they're trying to ease it somewhat, but I think at the end of the day, um, this is a case brought by the U.S. Department of Justice, not by the United States president. So even as much as uh, President Trump may or may not want to uh, stall this process, I think we all know that legal processes in the U.S. as well as Canada do not move at the the speed of a tweet. So even if they want those changes, it's not clear that um, even this warning shot is going to necessarily slow that those matters down. So, in, Richard, in terms of what Huawei is accusing, uh, are they, in fact, you think being singled out uh, from being pre- uh, from being prevented from doing business with uh, agencies of the U.S. government? Yes, I'm afraid you can say that. Uh, I think that uh, Huawei is uh, definitely the world leader in telecom equipment and. One of the difficulties for the U.S. side is that it really is true that they have uh, moved further ahead than America has in regard to this kind of technology. Uh, I've seen in print uh, a statement in uh, the Journal of Military Cyber Affairs that uh, the U.S. is where China was in 2002 in regard to telecom uh, equipment technology. So uh, there is definitely motivation on the part of the U.S. for national security reasons to um, be able to um, have uh, safety in its in its whole you know network infrastructure. Uh, it's not so much that Huawei is already putting things into its network equipment that are backdoors or whatever. It's that uh, in these days where Every maker does automatic updates of its software um, periodically. Uh, something could be put in in a later update that would immediately cause the network to um, be compromised. Regina? Um, well, first, I want to um, acknowledge Richard for um, giving us that um, uh, clarification on the technology, because I think for those of us with that, that are not experts in that field, having an understanding of why it is or what it is about 5G that makes the U.S. government and others more nervous than 4G, for example, right. and Huawei is something I think we need to explore further. But more immediately, I would again go back to the Department of Justice and say, while Huawei has been ostensibly singled out, I don't think it would be correct to say that um, other Chinese firms have not been likewise brought before the Department of Justice for some of the very same issues, whether we're looking at Sinovel and um, its um, stealing of technology from a a Massachusetts-based company, or even in Huawei. I mean, if we look at the case of it's not – when we're looking at the case about the lawsuit, we're looking at there primarily the fact that um, Ms. Meng is actually being charged with bank fraud. But Huawei yeah. is not just up for bank fraud, right? We're looking at intellectual property theft in terms of T-Mobile and other areas. So right. so it's it's not um, a surprise that it's happening and, and that they're being singled out is maybe more that it's getting more press coverage than other companies. But I think the U.S. Department of Justice has pretty much over the past two decades been working diligently in this area. And I think the fact that China set out a national industrial policy and that they were able to find evidence of Huawei um, 
actively seeking um, to uh, circumvent U.S. law, in some sense uh, made it the um, the nail that was sticking up highest. I, I guess, Richard, the fact that you mentioned about how uh, China has moved ahead of the United States uh, in terms of 5G technology, that would obviously explain uh, the tweet that President Trump had coming out over the weekend saying, yeah, well, we want to advance quickly on 5G and we want to advance on 6G as well where we're not even at that point at this. And it's, you know, it it it, it obviously was a, a, a move by the president to try and one-up the Chinese. But again, we're not, we're not even close to that point right now. Well, in context, a lot of the new Chinese efforts in space exploration are directly related to the 6G, which will probably be the integration of terrestrial networks with uh, communication to satellites. Right. So, uh, yeah, it already looks like they're moving on ahead. Now, what do you do about that is a good question. I think that uh, there are very few companies that are building this kind of integrated telecom equipment solutions. Um, Besides Huawei, there's ZTE in China. And outside, you have Ericsson and Nokia are the major two players. Uh, But really... This is something that uh, ever since the U.S. kind of example with the Internet years and years ago, the government has moved, allowed to move over to the private sector. There's been various kinds of stimulus for research and development, but basically it's been a private sector matter what kind of telecom equipment is in place. The government buys off the shelf, as it were. Um, So you really have another reason that you can't avoid singling out um, Huawei. 844-WHARTON is the number if you would like to join in, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. Joined in studio by Regina Abrami of the Wharton School and Richard Dasher of Stanford University. Again, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. Now, Regina, one of the other aspects that may be complicating this slightly with this suit going on is the fact that numerous U.S. allies, other countries, are partnering with Huawei to bring in that technology to their specific government. So you also have this dynamic playing out as well, where the United States is having some friction with other countries, especially in Europe, yet some of these countries are already partnering with Huawei. They are, or they have been, and actually had been for some time, but they're also backing off. So I think particularly if you look at the Five Eyes Alliance, which is the um, intelligence alliance across five countries, U.S., U.K., Australia, um, Canada, and New Zealand, um, they have and are individually at the national level, but also as the alliance, um, actually backing off and giving advice to their to their government ministries to not go further with um, purchase of Huawei project, uh, products. And then more recently, they've begun to share classified intelligence reports with Germany and Japan um, to try to make the case that those two countries as well um, should consider this. Because part of the issue, of course, is that um, the flow of intelligence information across servers, across countries, right. um, the U.S. government is, is concerned about um, the use of Huawei technology in these other countries. So actually we're seeing quite a few of them 
joined with the United States. And I think that is probably especially more uh, worrisome to Huawei in terms of its ability to compete globally. And, and as you said a little bit ago, there's still a lot that is kind of unknown about the relationship between Huawei and the Chinese government. We mm -hmm. don't know how far that relationship goes, how much information is shared. There's, a, a, I think, an expectation that information is shared of some kind, but we still don't know to a degree, correct? Well, we know the Chinese law, and we know that um, that that the internet and Chinese tech and, and all Chinese businesses, private or state owned, um, are compelled to comply with Chinese law, and certainly in matters of national security, perhaps um, uh, more so, in so far that these are not companies that are going to take the Chinese government to court to Correct. fight it. Right. Whereas um, in the United States. You do have uh, similar laws which compel companies to share information, but you also have cases of them um, trying not to do so. So we're getting into a very interesting story really here about comparative institutions and national laws and to what extent businesses can or cannot try to um, work their way around existing uh, national security laws. And Rich the Chinese case is just less liberal in that regard. Richard, your thoughts? I think that... Um this is also an issue in China right now because China needs the telecom equipment sales to kind of help stimulate its economy. The economy in general is slowing in China, and uh, instead of trying to get around the tariffs by lowering the value of the yuan, um, most people are seeing China cutting its corporate tax rate and doing other things that will encourage more spending. And this kind of global rollout of 5G is one of the big uh, sources of income to the country. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So, Richard, how much do you think this potentially impacts the conversations that are going on now and, and will continue to go on towards the end of the end of the month with President Xi and, and President Trump. When Ms. Meng was first arrested, it really almost looked like this was going to be a setup so that uh, President Trump could forgive her uh, in the course of these trade negotiations. But especially over the last few weeks, the U.S. has tried very, very hard to make a distinction between the trade discussions and this whole issue of high-tech competition uh, and the situation with the um, legal status of Huawei. The um, kind of movement right now is to say that we will probably reach a trade um, agreement, but that Huawei and ZTE may be specifically excluded from it. Regina? Regina? I, I could see that happening for sure. And I'd also add that in some ways China hasn't helped its case because, you know, the uh, subsequent arrest of 13 Canadians um, in this uh, sort of extreme tit for tat um, basis does not help make the case that uh, the Chinese government is not in some ways uh, out to protect Huawei or in some ways dependent on it for national security reasons or for spying or, you know, pick your topic. But, but it, you know, you imagine imagine the parallel happening in the United States yeah. when an American is arrested in China and then you just randomly go out and arrest 13 people. I mean, of those, I think only three had substantive charges against them, that the, the 13 Canadians. So I don't think that from a negotiating perspective, the move that China made was helping the case in any way. How does Canada handle this? Since they are obviously involved in this to a degree and they were doing uh, this move with Mrs. Meng in part to support support 
efforts with the United States. How do they handle this moving forward, considering the fact that now there is the, the suit against the United States in play? I, um, are you questioning me? Go ahead, okay. Yes. So I would, I would say that what Canada has done is consistently stated that they um, aim to maintain good relationships with China, that they are nonetheless subject to um, agreements they have with the United States. And they've also um, urged China to um, basically provide the citizens that are under arrest with um, their, their, their legal rights. Richard, your thoughts? So one of the reasons that this came out is because Ms. Meng appeared in uh, court on Wednesday last week in order to set the date for her extradition hearing to begin. So Canada is moving forward with the um, court review of the U.S. request for extradition. And um, Canada is still officially undecided, though, about whether it's going to um, allow Huawei equipment to be used by the government there or in the country. Uh, They say it's still under a security review. What is the expectation that then you have that that Huawei will will they try in your mind, Richard, to to push this as far as they possibly can, or could this mysteriously vanish? This uh, this suit mysteriously vanish once we get uh, the negotiations between the U.S. and China move uh, to a higher level. I think that the suit against the U.S. government is probably not going to mysteriously vanish. Right. This is one where uh, Huawei is fighting for its access to world markets. And you can argue that um, a company really cannot afford the kind of um, research and development it needs to continue its work in, in this area without sufficient profits. And the profits are going to require worldwide um, revenues. So I think Huawei is definitely not just going to back away, even if Ms. Meng was let go. And, and obviously the United States being one of the biggest markets, Regina, in the world, where you would want to have that, have that influence, have that, uh, have that contact. You would, but I think, you know, also if you're just looking at market share, I mean, Huawei has been um, very successful internationally. I don't know that it's had as much of a, a punch in terms of at least cell phones um, here in the United States and, and, and on these um, on the technology. So I think from the U.S. market perspective, you know, that Huawei is not the brand that it is globally, but certainly if you spend time in other parts of the world and elsewhere, you would find ZTE and Huawei to have even a, a well-known brand presence in a way that it, it, it still doesn't really have here in the United States. So I would agree with Richard, and I would also say that I hope the case doesn't disappear because it's a good test for U.S. law of uh, what right. are the parameters of due process and when do the terms of due process account and when are they able to be put on hold? And I think for, for all of us, that would be something that we would benefit from seeing um, some, some discussion. You, you mentioned the, the, the aspect of Congress uh, involved mm-hmm. in this, and, and it makes me uh, think about w- what Congress looks at mm-hmm. where this is concerned. And obviously, this suit being brought forth about a specific piece of legislation that, you know, the the National Defense Authorization Act and whether or not there needs to be a, a review of that at some point, you know, to pull that away, to, to be able to potentially allow Huawei to do this type of business in the United States. Well, it would have to be reviewed, but I think more broadly why Congress is being brought into it is because Huawei is arguing that um, basically the United States government is in violation of its own constitution. Yeah. So... Um, this is a great test case. I think it'll. Um, I think that Congress is not likely, I think, to come to the great defense of China. I don't think that's going to be what's going to mobilize them, particularly at this moment in time. But um, nonetheless, it'll have to have some choice and some thought about it should should the case continue to go forward. Richard? There's also-
also a certain tit-for-tat here, too, because 10 senators, uh, both Republicans and Democrats, uh, wrote a letter last month saying that the U.S. should keep out Huawei equipment for uh, the energy networks as well, uh, saying that the U.S. should not buy uh, Huawei's inverters that are used to control kind of, you know, the connections between rooftop solar and the uh, energy grid. So um, I think by trying to drive a wedge between Congress and the president in regard to the appropriate division of responsibility inside the U.S., uh, yes, they definitely want to tweak Congress, too. Uh, you know, and I think I think Richard makes a good point because solar, of course, is one perfect example where China had – um, in terms of solar energy, triumphed over over existing competitors yeah. such that today, I mean, it, you know, if we're going to talk about solar energy, we're talking pretty much about Chinese products. So, um, uh, the flagging that is sort of no doubt being brought up as an example. That um, I'm not surprised that that Congress came up with that approach. But Richard, you've talked about uh, the energy grid in in the past here, and with the technology that's being brought forward, and, and the the importance for having the right level of security for the energy grid moving even farther into this into this digital technology age that we're in right now well you see you have so much possibilities for remote control the nature of the technology is really different than it was 20 years ago and uh this is kind of a whole challenge for the way that the U.S. has always done the sort of division of labor between the government, which would fund advanced prototyping and some early military sales, and then later it would essentially become a completely civilian um, item for uh, markets. I think that this is um, a new era that we're getting into where you really have worldwide networks, and so how can governments protect them? Regina? I would agree. I, I, you know, I'm thinking back to the old days when we first started with cell phones and, you know, we would try to check where the network was going to work and, and, and we all had different phones depending on what part of the country we were in. Uh, whereas when you're in Europe, you could have one phone and right. it would work and right. it's likewise in China. So, so I think part of it is, is a, U, a unique U.S. institutional dilemma of um, coming to terms with what the role of government is. And, and I think we can extend this to other areas where China has also forced some reflection. So if we look at Exim Bank, OPEC, I mean, there again, the Republican Party historically had always been against these um, organizations, just calling them corporate welfare, yeah. to now seeing, you know, the recognition that these these agencies also deserve, now deserve some support from a perspective of ensuring national competitiveness. So, so yeah, I think we're going to see some um, deep, deep reflection on the U.S. government about what, in fact, needs to be its role in order for U.S. U.S. firms to remain globally competitive. Richard, do you expect that the, the extradition will go forward? I mean, even with the review by the Canadian government that, that Mrs. Meng will end up here in the United States? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, this process is uh, being used to keep leverage in the discussions. Uh, and uh, I don't see the need for that leverage to disappear anytime soon. Uh, it's already been kind of – Trump has been accused of caving in by not uh, implementing the 25 percent tariffs that were due to take effect at the beginning of this month. And uh, so it will likely be that if the tariffs are not going to be a good negotiating tool or the threat of tariffs is not a good negotiating tool, then um, they will want something to uh, try to keep a stronger hand. Virginia, your thoughts? You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that the case will go forward, but I'm not sure that the extradition will happen. I mean, we don't we just don't know. But I, I think if 
if the right advisors are in place, they would they would be certainly making the point that should she be extradited to the United States, it will escalate this to sure. a very, very different level, um, both in terms of how it's received and understood by the Chinese people, um, but also um, raising the stakes in terms of in the government government relations. But and obviously, the United States government and Canada you know, need to make that decision. But as you were talking about before, with other countries kind of in the mix, making these these pushes to be very careful, be very wary of Huawei equipment. Australia being mm-hmm. being one of them. Uh, it makes you wonder how much influence Australia, and probably not a whole lot, that a country like Australia could have in this entire process that obviously is focused on, on this one company and obviously in others coming out of China like ZTE. Well, I think these other countries have great influence. I mean, they were, and some of them are, major customers of, of Huawei. So so should they make a decision to uh, ally with the United States, then it's going to affect Huawei market-wise. But I also think that, you remember that in Australia and New Zealand, there have been numerous instances of in, uh, involvement of by Chinese uh, government, quasi-government types involved with um, influencing elections and the like. So, so again, if we just look at it from a people-to-people side, uh, this is not something that's going to be received by people in New Zealand or Australia as uh, deeply offensive or wrong or not treating Huawei fairly because there's enough in the popular press that speaks about Chinese influence in other realms. Right. So there actually might be some sentiment for it. And if I were Huawei or the Chinese government, I'd be a little bit more worried about that than necessarily what happens to Ms. Meng Hui, because no matter where, um, whether she's in Canada or the United States, the fact that she is such a high-profile figure, um, most likely for more insight that however from knowledge this plays Wharton, out, it's, please it's, visit it's going to be slow-going and it's, it's not going to be um, you know, 30 years in jail. Great seeing you again. Thanks yeah. for coming here, Regina. Thanks. Thank you, Richard. Great having you on the phone. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Dan.